Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Dude, I know you can get those type of videos on your phone. Totally. I don't know what I did before this. It's better hope your wife never finds out. It's not a big deal. Besides, she's been kind of not fun lately. Look, she's not going to find out. It doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Are you serious? God never said that. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. And as Sean said, we are in part three of a four-part message series that we're calling God Never Said That. And what we're looking at are four myths that are often attributed to God that he never said. Four things that we often think are in the Bible, but they aren't. And so each week we're looking at an individual myth. And if you've been here part of the series, I wanted to recap it. The first week, the myth that we looked at was God just wants you to be happy. The problem with that is, say it with me, God never said that. Now, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast because this is something we hear often attributed to God. And then week two, we looked at the myth that God will never give you more than you can handle. The problem is, say it with me, God never said that. And then next week, and I don't want you to miss this, next week we're going to look at myth number four, and it says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And the problem is, God never said that. Today, we're going to look at a myth that you hear all the time. It's it's common in our culture. It might even be common in in your household. And we're going to look at the myth today from Scripture. What that myth today, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anyone. Say it with me. God never said that. Now look, I know this is common. and, And like all of these myths, there's a little bit of truth in them to make them attractive, and to feel like they could be true. That's the beauty of a good lie, right? It has a little bit of truth in it. No truth at all, we wouldn't buy it. But there's a little bit of truth in here. After all, none of us want to hurt anyone. And so we begin to look at this myth that, well, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. It's kind of this idea that says, look, it doesn't really matter. In fact, it's kind of none of your business, right? What you do you, I'll do me. What I do in my house, what I do in my life, what I do in my bedroom, what I do on my, you know, digital devices, that's my business, you do you, I do me. In fact, we'll go as far as to say, you have the freedom to swing your fist, but your freedom to swing your fist ends where my nose begins, right? It's the same idea of do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt me. It sounds kind of reasonable, doesn't it? It's just the way we often think and this gets attributed to something that God said and I just want to say to you if you're here today and you aren't a Jesus follower or if you are a Jesus follower and this is something that that you embrace I'm not even suggesting that you don't believe this anymore if you want to believe this just continue believing it what I am wanting to clarify is that God never said this and maybe Maybe when we recognize that, we'll have the freedom to evaluate whether or not it's a philosophy of life we want to embrace. God never said that. See, I think when you really evaluate this, 
it's kind of a low standard to have a philosophy of living your life based on this myth. Let me give you a couple of extreme examples. Because I don't think we embrace this philosophy in most areas of our life. We just sort of pick and choose where we want to embrace this philosophy. Imagine as a parent or a grandparent, if you decided to embrace this philosophy. Imagine if on Christmas morning, you got up and little Johnny, your son or grandson, three or four years old, all bright-eyed and anticipating these Christmas gifts, and you walked downstairs and you saw him and you said, oh, little Johnny, it's so good to see you today. I just wanted to let you know, I'm not giving you anything for Christmas this year because me and mom got a brand new jacuzzi. But I have learned it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt you, little Johnny. Merry Christmas. Little Johnny's looking around going, no, sir, not going to work, right? Because we have a higher bar for parenting than this myth. In the same way, imagine if you were walking downtown Dallas on a sidewalk and you look to your left and you see a homeless woman and you walk over to her and she hands out, puts her hand out asking for money for food. Imagine if you looked into her sad eyes and you said, I see that you're hungry and I see that you want a little money for food. But I just want you to know I'm not going to give you anything because me and my family, we're about to go around the block and we're going to enjoy a really fancy restaurant with a five-course meal and I need to save all my money for that. But hey, don't worry. Doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt you. And this person goes hungry because that's a really low standard. And as citizens, we recognize that's too low of a standard by which to live our lives. And so as we look at that, then we think, well, then is there a better way? Is there a more joyful way? Is there a way to live that actually makes the world a better place? Because what this one does is it focuses on me, it allows me to be passive, and it allows me to disregard the needs of other people, and more importantly, it doesn't require me to sacrifice anything. Is there a better way? So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to do something a little bit different. And I want us to look at the opposite of this myth. Because as you have discovered as we've gone through this series, in every case, God actually teaches the exact opposite. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at someone who lived a life that was the exact opposite of this myth. And they had a meaningful and lasting life and left a legacy that I believe is in the heart of each of us to leave because they lived the opposite of this myth. And this person's name is Jesus. Jesus decided it does matter what I do because I want to help people. In fact, for his case, he wanted to rescue people. And that's a very different way to live. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to look at just eight or nine verses. I want you to consider the two alternatives, this myth or the way Jesus lived. And we're going to see four specific things that Jesus was thinking while he lived. And I would propose to you, that's a more meaningful way to live. And so I want you to see this in your Bibles because I believe this could be transformative. If you'll really embrace this, 
Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, go there in the pew. I'd love for you to look at this for yourself. Open up that Bible. You can turn in the pew Bible to page number 951. And I want you to see this for yourself. If you want to live a really meaningful life, and I know you do, if you really want to have a legacy, and I know you do, if you want to have joy and you want to really make the world a better place, look at how Jesus lived. And it can make all the difference in the world. The first thing we're going to see in this passage is Jesus thought of others more than himself. Doesn't mean that he was a religious doormat. Doesn't mean that he enabled people's bad behavior. It doesn't mean that he allowed himself to be taken advantage of when he wasn't choosing to do it. However, he did think of others more than himself. I want you to see it in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Look what it says. Do nothing, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, that already sounds a little bit countercultural, doesn't it? Because you do you is the opposite of do nothing out of vain conceit and selfish ambition. Rather, watch this, in humility, there's a strength in humility that chooses to serve. In humility, value others above yourself. Can you just read that sentence out loud with me right here? Say that with me. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That is one of the hardest things that most of us have to spend our life learning to live that way. Valuing others more than ourselves. Watch this. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, here it is. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is one of those rare verses in all of Scripture where someone who knew Jesus personally reveals the way Jesus was thinking reveals the philosophy that Jesus had for living his life. Here's the mindset of Jesus. Now, we have all kinds of mindsets that we're given as an alternative. For example, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. That's a mindset. That's an alternative. But here's the exact opposite. We're about to be given four different principles, four ways that Jesus thought that allowed him to have a meaningful life. I want you to see these. Number, verse six, he says, Paul, Paul writes of Jesus, Jesus, who being in very nature God, okay, we don't even get to start there, right? Because we're not God. But Jesus being God, he was God, he is God. He's not God-like, he literally is God, God the Son. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own Say this last word with me, advantage. Imagine the story that Paul is beginning to reveal here. The picture that he's painting is that Jesus is in heaven where all of heaven is worshiping him, praising him. He has ultimate power and ultimate praise. And he decided he would not use that to his advantage. Instead, Dad, he did the opposite of that, didn't he? He chose to come to earth 
to choose not to use some of his power and attributes. Think about this. He chose to put on human limitations like needing rest, needing sleep, needing to eat, to eventually bleed, to eventually die. He didn't use his power, his advantages for himself. It's a very different way of living, isn't it? And I look at that and I think, wait a minute, that challenges me because then I have to ask, am I doing that? If I want to have a meaningful life that leads to influence, am I using my advantages on behalf of others as Jesus did? It's sort of a reporter who was interviewing a job counselor. The job counselor said, look, I've been able to place hundreds of people in great jobs who've gone on to thrive for the organization. And the reporter said, well, great, but what's the secret to your success? The job counselor said, well, what I've learned is it doesn't matter about competency or responsibility. You pay people enough money, you can find that. But what I am looking for is somebody who's been given some perks and privileges and to see if they use them all on themselves or if they use some of them for others and the organization. And when I find somebody who does that, I have found a real leader that will be a benefit to any organization they go to. This is what we see in Jesus. He had all the praise and all the power and he didn't use it for his own advantage. Now here's the question that's real personal. What advantages do you have? What advantages do we have? Living in America? Maybe for you it's time, maybe for you it's health, maybe for you it's influence, maybe for you it's money, maybe for you it's some kind of authority or power that you have that you've been given. How are you using your blessings, your advantages on behalf of others? As you look back over the last week, over the last month, what have you been given that you're using for others? Now look at verse 7, because as we look at the mindset of Jesus, I want you to see this next thing, because this next thing becomes real tangible. It's not ethereal at all. Look at verse 7. Rather, Paul writing about Jesus, Jesus made himself, say that next word with me, nothing. I don't even know where to start with that. It's this idea of kenosis in the original language, this idea of an emptying of himself. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a, say that with me, servant. That's not a word we even like anymore. Instead, he was made in human likeness, which is a big deal because he is God, and he becomes a servant. He begins to serve. See, the truth is, in order to be more like Jesus, we think of others more than ourselves, and we serve others. We serve others. Now, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the life of Jesus to the point when it comes to service, but if you look at the narrative, you realize that he was rarely served, but he was always serving. And and he was really serving. He wasn't like talking about you should serve. He was actually serving. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but in 2022, there seems to be a difference between appearing to serve and actually serving. We value serving, 
But there's a difference between appearing to serve and actually serving. I read recently of a philosopher who wrote about children's education and the value of educating children, which we would all agree to. While unfortunately he was abandoning his own children. So he was appearing to serve versus actually serving. And did you ever notice who it is that Jesus actually served? He served the people he was closest to. The people who had proximity to him and him to them, those are the ones he touched, he healed, he served. Those who were closest to him. And i got to confess here, just a few weeks ago, my family and I, we were getting together and I, and I, I proposed this idea, it was a sort of a self-awareness exercise. And so I said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we, I think it was a Saturday morning, but we said, why don't we take a couple of hours, everybody take a journal, everybody take a pen and just kind of go off for a couple of hours. And here's what I want you to do. Six people in our family, so you've got five other people other than yourself. I want you to list them all out and write out in your mind their three greatest strengths and their greatest weakness. And then in a couple of hours, we'll come around and share this because... We are the ones who know each other best and love each other most. And they know me, so they're willing just to play along. Dad's got an idea, so we're going to do it. So off they went, and a couple hours later, we gathered around a picnic table there, and, and, and we decided to share. And I look around, and I said, well, who wants to go first? Who wants to hear their three greatest strengths and their greatest weakness? And, of course, they looked, and they said, Dad, this is your idea. You're going first. I said, well, fair enough. So I said, well, why don't we start with the weakness? Let's get that one out of the way, right? So, so tell me about weakness. Of course, I'm thinking like Michael Scott from The Office or something. I'm assuming that they're going to go, oh, Dad, you just love too much. You care too much, you know. That's not what happened <laughs> at all. Instead, Ginger said, my wife, well, Mark, sometimes you're impatient with me. And I wanted to say, yeah, but next, you know, and... And so then my oldest daughter said, Dad, you're impatient with me. And then the next one, and the next. five different human beings that I am closest to all said the same thing, five for five. And I know that I can struggle with impatience. I know that God has given me a drive, and the shadow side of that strength is that I can be impatient. Can I be honest with you? You know what I thought? I believed this myth. I mean, I knew it wasn't ideal, but I wasn't hurting anybody. And it doesn't really matter what I do when it comes to my patience, as long as I'm not hurting anybody. And then as I sat there and I heard all five of them say, this is your greatest weakness. See, what I realized in that moment was that my job as a dad and a husband is more than just not hurting them. My job is to serve them and to love them. And this was keeping me from being able to do it as I should be doing it. And so I just share that to say, I know that I'm a work in progress. I bet you are too. And we can all be a work in progress together as long as we're committed to something greater than this myth. Because it does matter what we do if we actually want to help people, if we actually want to serve people.
So let me ask you something personal here. I'm not going to ask you to look to the person and ask them what your greatest weakness is. That could be something you decide to do later or not. But who are you serving? And let me ask you this. Who would the people who are closest to you, how would they answer that question for you? How are you serving them? And where in your week are you regularly serving others? Jesus thought of others more than himself. He served others. And then this is the part where it just gets mind-blowing. Verse 8. As Paul begins to describe Jesus, you've got to see this. Verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, Paul says, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to death. But not just any death. Even death on a cross. And as a Roman ear in the first century would have heard that, that would have been the ultimate act of torture and humiliation. And they would have gasped when they read that. That God would not only be worthy of praise and power, but would not use it to his advantage, but instead would come and be so humbled that he would die on a cross, a mocking and torturous death. Man, my sin must be a bigger deal than I think it is. It must matter what I do. Even death on a cross. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate sacrifice for us. To lay down his life for you and for me, to be despised, the worthy God, to be rejected, a gracious king, to suffer, a creator, to be pierced for my transgressions, to be crushed for my sin and iniquities. Why did he do it all? So that his wounds would heal us. He said, it matters what I do if I want to help people, if I want to rescue people. I'm so glad God didn't say. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say in heaven, it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone, aren't you? He cared beyond that. And if you aren't a Jesus follower, he did that for you. If you are a Jesus follower, he invites you and me to not only think of others more than ourselves, to not only serve others, but here it is, to sacrifice for others. Now here's where it gets tough. To sacrifice for others. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you this question. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to think of others more than yourself, you're going to serve others, and then you're also going to sacrifice for others. But now here's a question to ask yourself. Those of you who are Jesus followers, is it costing you anything to follow Jesus? I hadn't planned to say this, but I, I'm, I'm just going to say it and, and share it, and you can accept it or not. But the reality is, one of the things that we all have been created to do is to share Jesus with other people, this loving God who loves us so much, is to share him with other people. 
And Jeff, I didn't even get your permission to share this, Jeff Ziegler, but is it all right if I just share what you shared with me? Thank you. As I put you on the spot, what else are you going to say? <laughs> Jeff was out in the lobby this morning. He was talking about his grandson who's going into the seventh grade. And Jeff began to weep as he was sharing with Lori and I because this summer his grandson went to youth camp and he gave his life to Christ and he's now got an eternity with God because he made the ultimate decision to give his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great thing to celebrate? And I don't think there is a greater legacy that any of us want to leave with our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, or those in our life than to see them come to know this Jesus. And here's what we know. Most people come to Jesus before the age of 18, the far majority, something like the high 80s and percentage. And what we're seeing in this area is that is a decreasing percentage of people in this area. What we are seeing just to the north of here is an increasing number of people at that age. We drive around and now all the, over the northern part of Collin County, they're putting portable buildings all over. the. They, they can't keep up at all these schools. They're offering now seven, eight, nine lunches. They can't keep up. You know what I'm saying? It is the biggest mission field near us. And here's the thing I want to ask you. Are we, I know it's going to cost us a lot. I know it's going to cause a lot of us to get uncomfortable. I get that. I know that. It's why we moved here. We believe it's worth it, though. And the question I want to ask you is, as we look to think of others more than ourselves, as we look to serve others, the question I want to ask you is, are we willing to sacrifice for the next generation to know Jesus Christ? And as we look, as we move forward in the years ahead, I think that's the question we've got to keep asking God. God, what do you want me to sacrifice on behalf of the next generation to know you so that I live a life that's meaningful, not comfortable, a life that has a legacy and a life that is greater than me so that others can know this wonderful Jesus for all of eternity. Just like Jeff's grandson, we want more stories like that more people to come to know this great Jesus. And now we've got to say why. At the end of the day, why? Why does all this matter? I want you to see it with Jesus. Look what Paul says of Jesus. This is why it matters. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place with his humility of thinking of others more than himself with serving and sacrificing. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. This is a pretty big elevation that God has given Jesus, not one that Jesus asked for, but when God sees someone being so humble and serving others in this grand of a way, God has a way of exalting people like that in due time. I can't help but think of the words every in this passage when you look at it. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You know, I looked this week, I was just curious, how many names is that? Currently in the world, according to one source, there are more than 150,000 last names, not including first names and combinations. And when you take all of those names and you made a list, Jesus is the name above every name. When you take all the people who have power in this world, whether they're princes 
or prince or king or queen or president or prime minister, whether they're over organizations or over countries, whatever power they have, Jesus is the name above all names. You take a Forbes list and financial wealth, if you took Bill Gates or, or, or Elon Musk or, or, or Warren Buffett, whoever it would be, and you said this is the most wealthy of names and you made a list, but Jesus is the name above every name. That's not all. He's not only the name above every name, but at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. I looked recently, 7.8 billion people in this world, but when you look at demographers as they predict how many people have actually lived, they say anywhere between tens of billions to more than likely over 100 billion have lived at some point on earth. And we are told that there will be a day where every one of those 100 billion knees will bow at the name of Jesus. And then we take it a little further and we see that not only will every knee bow, but every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I looked just this week and there are over 4,200 religions and splinters of faith throughout the world today. And every one of them will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you, I don't mean to be offensive, but if this verse is true, that means everyone, that means Buddha, that means Muhammad, that means every other religion will someday bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will not bow and say Christianity is the way. They will not bow and say the American version of faith is the way. They will acknowledge that Jesus is the way and that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why does all this matter? Here it is, to the glory of God the Father. At the end of the day, the way that we live matters most if it isn't about glorifying me or us, but him. That we promote him, that we magnify him, that we exalt him above all. And so in order to have the mindset of Jesus, it begins by me thinking of others more than myself, and then I serve others, that I sacrifice others, and then in the end, that I also promote God. I'm not on this planet to promote me or us, but him, the name above all names. Why? Because if you can resurrect from the dead, you get to be above all and above everyone because you have proven the greatest fear that we have, you have a solution for it. You have an answer. So let me ask you a real personal question. How are your thoughts, attitudes, and actions promoting God? Now, I want to be honest and say I do not want to pretend like I have it all together. I wanted to be confessional with you today to make that clear. But there's a better way. Then it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone. I suspect when we lose sight of a purpose of sharing Jesus, then I become what I exalt and who I serve. And that myth is rooted in that. The problem is not that we're selfish, although certainly we struggle with that, but we've lost the purpose for which we have been created and that is to know Jesus and to share Jesus. So how do I get back to that place where it becomes my priority again? And I just want to suggest that we start with Jesus. 
And maybe as I remember how much Jesus demonstrated his love for me, then I will look to demonstrate his love to others. I think it begins at the cross. I think it begins with Jesus. So today I want us to do something a little different as we close, and that is I want us to take communion. And I want us to remember again. I want us to pause and just once again focus on he who gave his life. So if you're new and you're a new follower of Jesus, just know that Jesus, before he died, he actually told his followers to do this occasionally to remember him. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to remember him and his death and the demonstration of his love for us. And on your way in, you were given those elements that has the wafer and the juice, and hopefully you still have that. And I just want to kind of give you a heads up. It's going to be tricky to get into them. So you've got the first layer that will give you access to the wafer, the next layer to the juice. But before we do that, before we take those elements today, I want to ask you to do something a little bit different. Would you just close your eyes for just a moment? And I want to ask you to, in your mind's eye, I want you to travel a little bit. Here's what I would ask you to do as you have your eyes closed today. Would you just travel back to that first century Middle Eastern city of Jerusalem? see there on a hill where Jesus laid down his life on that cross for you. It had been just moments before where people were shouting and they were angry and they were mocking and they were crying. It had been an electric and chaotic scene, but now it's gotten quiet. For the first time, there's no noise. One by one, onlookers are, are, are beginning to walk away. Except you. You linger. Yeah, if you could have, you would have written a different script. As you sit there and you're, you're a bit distraught. You think you would have done it differently. To save the world, there might have been flashing swords and bolts of lightning and knocked evil on its back. But God on a cross? You would have never written it that way. But this was not your script to write. Our part is to respond. And I believe you need to do something now. You can observe it and analyze it, but until you leave something there at the cross, you haven't fully embraced it. What can you bring, you might ask? today I want to encourage you why don't you start by leaving your bad moments your failures your selfishness while you're there maybe you'll leave your mad moments too your impatience and your anger you may even leave your anxious moments when you're tense and you tend to worry about all of the uncertainty. Maybe you'd leave your bitter moments where you feel like you've been wronged, or somebody did an injustice and just wasn't fair. Maybe today this is your opportunity to really remember him by leaving some things 
at the cross. So I want to give you time to just pray. Just where you sit today that you can thank God, number one, and but you can also leave some things at the cross. And so we're going to do something different today. Instead of me telling you when to take the communion by eating the wafer and drinking, instead of me walking you through that process, I'm just going to offer a prayer, and then I'm going to let you just pray right where you sit today. Maybe you would like to leave some things at the cross. The band then will then lead us. And you can stand whenever you like. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you have reminded us that our only hope in this world is Jesus. Thank you for showing us a much better way to live for others. May our lives be wholly bound to you, God. Oh, it's so strange to say that you're mine and I am yours. Thank you, God, for the demonstration of love to me, to us at the cross. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.